0: Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program to bring you a special emergency broadcast of Grown-Ass Men.
1: There are men who say, that Incredible Hulk TV series complete five-season box set is great, but I don't need to own it. There are men who say, there was an Incredible Hulk TV series? And then, there's Doug Bost and Adam Bernstein. Two men who should have better things to do, but aren't doing them right now. These are two Grown-Ass Men.
2: Grown-Ass Men.
1: With special guest Grown-Ass Man, Jeff Ward. Well, thank God we're here for our emergency broadcast and yeah. able to come to you with another breathtaking episode.
2: Grown ass men return. Yes, after so much.
1: After so much has happened. A summer. Of so mania. many things, and yet we're back, and we're back with special guest, uh, Halloween guest, actually, <laughs> Jeff Ward.
2: Welcome to the program. Thank
1: you for being here, Jeff.
0: It's my pleasure, fellas.
1: Uh, we really felt like, in honor of Halloween, we would uh, talk about a, a subject that's very apropos of the season, the uh, Halloween broadcast of The War of the Worlds.
0: Yeah, it's a story of how um, um, CBS radio drama series got a sponsor. They wanted to get a sponsor and they were a sustaining series just sponsored by the network because nobody was interested and they had a very very small listenership um they did literary adaptations that were all in the public domain they produced it for about a dollar forty eight per episode <laughs> and, they and were it was, the against, the theater. It was
1: uh, all theater actors in new york city
0: yes and uh they were they had all. Uh, Big New York listenership, and that's all. The rest of the nation was listening to Charlie McCarthy. Uh Uh-oh.
3: I sort of like you. You do? I sure do. Bergen, get your gun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Over on NBC.
2: How many radio stations are broadcasting regularly at that time?
0: In New York, there were the two main uh, stations, I think right. WABC, WABC. Oh, ABC. WABC, there wasn't an ABC yet. WABC was the CBS station. Oh, and okay. there, was, there was NBC. And NBC eventually got so big that they split off into a red network and a blue network. And uh, one of those, um, I'm going to say red, became ABC. Just oh, because of wow. antitrust reasons, and then there was there was WJZ, and there was Mutual, and there were there were they were scattered around, and then um, amateur radio. Any a lot of radios could pick up amateur and police bands as well as foreign shortwave. Wow! So there was a lot going on on the air, and Orson Welles uh, and John Houseman decided to do on that Sunday night a an adaptation of the War of the Worlds for. Halloween.
3: The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in *The War of the Worlds* by H.G. Wells
0: in the form of radio bulletins,
1: fake news. The original fake news, the original really. Fake news. Back this in 1938.
0: Her broadcasts of fake news, and um, after an announcement, they kind of lurched from this uh, speech by. Orson Welles' character into a, a evening of live dance music from a series of hotels. These kept getting interrupted by news flashes about a kind of astronomical catastrophe that was happening in new jersey and also some stories about mars and the new jersey story got more far out and crazy and they went on location and the reporter got incinerated the mars stories kept coming and the music kept playing between all of this it was (laughs) chaos on the network and the beautiful part and the reason why everybody freaked out who did freak out was not that they told americans that we had been invaded by mars but that we hadn't they said there's nothing to see here <laughs> there's no connection between these things that you're witnessing in real time <laughs> now some more
1: music stop using your brain to yes. draw a connection between all of these stories you and your ears
2: what, when this is halloween 1938 38 right Right, so how deeply involved are we in the war?
0: The war's about. War's going to start in a year, right. and the, the month prior there had been a big crisis, kind of like a Cuban Missile Crisis of the late 30s, called mm. the Munich Crisis, and that had played out in Americans ears completely on the radio. Um, wow. Orson Welles' show of a couple weeks before had been interrupted at the beginning, by a news report because news from europe was coming fast and furious and it was ugly stuff people really needed to know what this maniac killer was going to do right and um, so it could have been more at any time and people were very very used to having their programs interrupted
1: and they only got their news from the radio and newspapers that's right it was there was one source of news for people which there's a danger in only having one source for news. Unless it's Fox News. Right. And that's, that's what makes it startlingly uh, relevant in 2019.
0: Yes. I mean, how often do you check the New York Times homepage <laughs> just in case something horrible has happened since 40 minutes ago? Yeah. Also, this was before we we're used to commercial parodies and mockumentaries. We know that the form is sometimes played with like, uh, to make fun of itself. No such thing in the late 30s. The radio was God. There had never been anything like this in concept. And uh, that's why it was able to hornswoggle about um, 1.2 million people.
2: Where is this in relation to Citizen Kane?
0: This is the cause of Citizen Kane. This is what enabled it. After this, the radio show got a sponsor because there's no bad publicity. And... um, then Orson Welles was much ballyhooed, hmm. and uh, finally he became a hot property, and they, they were able to lure him into, wow. into California.
2: Okay, that's good. Was well, Citizen Kane's
0: what year?
1: 41, 41, yeah.
2: Oh, wow.
1: One of the things that I love about the uh, Mercury broadcast of War of the Worlds is the sort of laundry list of things Orson Welles and John Houseman did to, to screw with people. Like, not only did they keep cutting back to music, which was, you know, mind-blowing. <laughs> but uh, they also used silences. Much. And then I was listening this week to the earlier programs. It's it's an hour-long series. The Mercury um, plays are all hour-long shows. And this was the 17th, right? 17th show in their series. And just about all of the other hour-long shows up until then take a station identification break exactly at 30 minutes. At half hour. Because that's what everybody does. Yeah. Every mm-hmm. show, right, sure. at 30 minutes, they say,
3: We pause a moment now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: But what's fantastic about the War of the Worlds is they just blow right through they it. Do. It's they it's do. I
0: think it's, it comes in eight minutes late.
1: Right. So for eight minutes, people are like, Oh, this is really happening eight now. Eight minutes more mayhem.
0: Eight minutes more for people to say, screw this, I'm going to go put a wet towel over my head and run down to the train station to try to get out.
1: Well, there were a lot of stories afterward about mass hysteria. Yes. And I think a lot of the stories were themselves mass hysteria, right? There was some
0: flim-flammery on the part of the newspapers because they were jealous of the radio and yeah. it had sort of stolen their their light. But they um, there was a lot of genuine panic. Um in about 2010, some uh, communications professors wrote a Slate article about how the, um, the panic itself was a myth. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of hooey. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot ne- uh, that's come out since to, to counter that. And, and plus, anybody who's interested in talking about how the, how the War of the Worlds panic was a myth... I mean, uh, do you have any interest in them as people?
1: (laughs) Right. Those are boring people. Oh, my God. Yeah, those are people you wouldn't want to have I just want to know their names. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, the other things that contributed to the... The Canadian Logging Song. Yes. Let's hear it. Yes. Canadian Logging Song is
0: key. What happened was that all of America was listening to Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen, and... They cut to a singer who was Nelson. on a different network. Uh, it was this was on on uh, NBC,
1: which was a, the most popular show of right.
0: the time. And uh, they they cut to, and it's sort of it's noted sometimes that uh, Nelson Eddy had a lot to do with the panic because people didn't like Nelson Eddy, so they they turned over to CBS just to see how they could kill some time. What really happened is that Nelson Eddy was extremely popular, and I listened to that Chase and Sanborn broadcast and. I didn't mind hearing him at all. And then at about four minutes and 50 seconds into the broadcast, into both broadcasts, they announced that Nelson's going to sing another song. And it's very similar in tempo, and it's it's called the Canadian Logging Song, and he does it in a Canadian accent, a French-Canadian accent. It's stupid, it's insulting, and all I could think of, my only impulse was fast forward, fast forward. So I had the same impulse as the people back then. In 1938. Yeah, here's... um here's the offending item. Here's the Canadian logging
3: song. The song of a rough-and-ready man of Canada, a big, brawny French-Canadian logger, the kind of a fellow who skips nimbly from log to log as they float downstream to the mill. Sure-footedly, he prevents the dreaded jams, and yet he always seems to find time to wave with the girls on the shore. Nelson Eddy sings the Canadian logging song. On the we float, we float, the logs they make the grand approach.
0: The... You want to change it? Yeah, it's time to change the channel. What's on CBS? Yeah. <laughs> and what they heard is this. They heard the end of Stardust.
3: Right, I heard that.
0: And then a little item about the astronomical anomaly right across the
3: river. Ladies and gentlemen, following on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Meteorological Bureau has requested the large observatories of the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances occurring on the planet Mars. Yeah, Beauty maybe me. Yeah,
0: maybe I won't go back to Nelson and his warbling. <laughs> Doesn't even have Jeanette.
2: Is Bernard Herrmann part of this music story? Can, too? He wrote
0: and conducted the, the score. Amazing,
1: <laughs> but really, there's no wow. score until the end, right? But or did he write the music for Raymond Rocalo and his orchestra? He arranged
0: these pop songs. Uh, okay. I'm always chasing rainbows and stardust, um, and then in the second half, not or less than half, if we, as we've discussed, the last sort of third of the pie, uh, Orson's narrating in, in character, and there's some a little bit of Bernard Herman music. <laughs>
1: I just can't overstate how they play with your mind with in this show in ways that, like you're saying, Jeff, just nobody had done before. That they would tell you an alarming, alarming story and then cut back to music at the Meridian Ballroom, and it's just so right. It it, it heightens the tension so much because you're like, I shouldn't be hearing this. I need more information. Right. That's about this terrible it, thing.
0: Right. And Houseman and the rest of them were determined that. Uh, Orson was going to save this really dreary, stupid, silly broadcast that they'd been rehearsing. First of all, by taking out all these music segments at the beginning. And Orson decided we need more music at the beginning. He wanted it longer, more plausible. He wanted a regular old broadcast for the established yeah, and then to be overturned. There's a lot of screw-ups. There's a lot of confusion on the air. People saying, am I on? And yeah. there's a lot of that happens he's off mic, and uh, worse than half the time in characters. Well, he's not on mic because he just doesn't have any radio training. And, right, uh, right, poor, right. It's great. Poor, uh, and like the farmer, the farmer, he he doesn't know how to talk on the radio. He's just as bad at his, as a really as a really good guy would. Um, that guy was played by Ray Collins. Uh, Mr. The Mr. Farmer, Mr. Wilmuth, the farmer, the owner of the thing the original where this bass thing player has happened. For the mothers of invention. Yes, yes. That, no, it's the other Ray Collins. <laughs>
2: I don't know if he was the bass player, but I know he was a guy, Ray Collins. I think. No,
0: he's a great singer for the Mothers of Invention. Oh, he was invention. A singer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the other one, the one the one who didn't work very much with Zappa, uh, it was <laughs> Ray Collins from Citizen Kane. He plays, uh, th- I think, three parts in The War of the Worlds, including wow. including um, I mean, he he makes a speech from a rooftop at one point when the smoke is coming in, and is that Ray Collins? That's who does Ray the, Collins the, who, who who falls over. Oh, dead. he's so great oh. in that scene. And he's great as the paternalistic station manager who says, "We are now turning over our broadcasting mm. facilities to yep. the National Guard." And then he's he's the farmer um, who is lucky enough to have the thing land on his on his property and incinerate him, and. Here's how good Ray Collins is in that part, how good he is at being a non-radio
3: actor. Here's Mr. Wilmoth, owner of the farm here. He may have some interesting facts to add. Mr. Wilmot uh, would you please tell the radio audience as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that dropped in your backyard. Uh, step closer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. I Live listening to the radio. Uh, closer and louder, please. Pardon me? Uh, louder, please, closer. Yes, <laughs> I was listening to the radio and kind of drowsing. That professor fellow was talking about Mars, so I was half chosen and half... Yes, yes, Mr. Wilmot, and uh, then what happened? Well, as I was saying, I was listening to the radio, kind of halfway... Yes, Mr. Wilmot, and then you saw something. Not first off, I heard something.
0: And then, in 1988, NPR mounted a recreation of the broadcast. And um, there are some interesting things about it, and it's compelling in spots, but... You really see how good the Mercury players were when you hear the players who. who let's hope they're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> let's very hope nice. They are. Did, I'm sure, they're
1: very nice people. Here's oh
0: yeah, they're wonderful, and they don't say that the War of the Worlds was a hoax. Here's Mr. Wilmoth from 1988. Just showing you how great Ray
3: Collins is. Closer, Mr. Wilmot, closer. Sir, closer, please. I was listening to the radio. Closer and louder, please. Yes, sir. Sir. Uh, pardon me. Uh, louder. Louder. We have to hear yes, you, sir. Yes, closer. Sir. Yes, I, I, I was listening to the radio and kind of drowsing. Uh, this professor fellow was talking about Mars, and I was half dozing right. and half. And but then what happened, Mr. Wilmot? Well, as oh, I was talking about uh, I'll tell him. As we was saying, see, I was listening to the radio kind of halfway. So are you, you saw something, Mr. Wilmot? Well, not for First off, I heard something. What is it you heard, sir? I heard a hissing sound like this. Kinda of like a fourth of July rocket. And then and then what? I turned my head out the window and would have sworn I was the sleep and dreaming.
1: You
0: don't need to And you're what are you? This, don't are milk you, it. Are you a community theater actor that you talk
1: this way in, in, in on a farm in New Jersey? In the <laughs>
0: depression? You idiot. Who's the
1: who's the actor who gets cut off? Who um That's Frank
0: Reddick. The two secret weapons on this show are, are Ray, Collins. Ray Collins and Frank Reddick. Frank also plays in a couple of other parts, but his main part is uh, Carl Phillips. The year before, the Hindenburg had blown up, also in New Jersey. And it's a bad time for New Jersey. And Where
2: uh, over, where in New Jersey
0: did I it It was Lakehurst.
2: Oh, Lakehurst. Yeah. Would, that's not... Yeah, you it's can not go that look. It's close. It's probably an hour, yeah. or hour and a half from. They've here. pretty
0: much got it cleaned up by now, but the uh... <laughs> Jersey man. And what they told Frank Reddick to do in his preparation as Carl Phillips is to go down to the library, the audio library, and listen to that transcription disc over and over and over. Here's Herbert Morrison the year before narrating the landing of the Hindenburg.
3: It's starting to rain again. The rain had cracked uh, up a little bit the back motors so of the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from, it bursts into flames get it started, get it started, it's rising, and it's rising, it's rising terrible oh my, get out of the way please it's burning, bursting into flames and, and it's falling on the morning fast and all the folks between it, this is terrible, this is one of the worst catastrophes in the world oh it's it's it's, it's running hmm.
0: and um, here's Frank Reddick as Carl Phillips freaking out before there's a very clever six seconds of silence and then (laughs) a whitewash explanation.
3: Studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now, it's a white hat tip tied to a pole. Flag of truce. Those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute, something's happening. Humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror that least right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. The logs are turning into flames. The whole field's caught by the woods. Up the barns The gas tank tanks and the automobiles are spreading everywhere. It's coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Endelscoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We continue now with our piano interlude.
1: Oh. If you ever watched the film of the Hindenburg crashing... It's amazing to see everyone running away from the crashing Hindenburg, and then they stop and they run back. That is the most amazing thing to me, watching the film, is to see people fleeing for their lives from a giant Fire flaming ball. fireball, and then they, they stop and they say, oh, we've got to help the people who are in there, and they go wow. back. Yeah, they were Crazy. all first responders for
0: sure. Amazing.
1: I guess they saw the camera. <laughs> we can be on TV. I, I'm not going to go down like this in posterity. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts.
2: Well, the problem is New
1: Jersey, isn't it? Well, it, it, it's the con. I'm glad denominator. you're the first to say it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Somebody I was... Who was it? The
1: was Hindenburg, the War of the Worlds, and then Chris Christie. <laughs>
3: oh, my Wait, God. No, there's the a cr- lot between Wait, there.
1: Wait, no. The, the, the Hindenburg
0: is... Not Chris Christie. I get those mixed up no, all no, the no. time. No, no, no. I see is. some giant they look similar. flaming out on TV. <laughs> they, do. they look similar. Yeah. Oh, the humanity. But the Hindenburg wasn't constantly eating jelly donuts. That's how you can
1: tell <laughs> That's how you can tell them apart. Yeah. <laughs> on news programs. Chris Christie was not well, a movie George... starring George C. Scott. I don't know. Exactly. He might have been. He might have been. One of the things that I've always read about uh, The War of the Worlds is that people started to panic, and as they're broadcasting the show, they're in the studio doing the show, and cops start arriving on the other side of the glass to say, you've got to stop this show. You're freaking everybody out. Wow. And it's hard to believe that that's true, because not that... People weren't freaking out, and that the cops wouldn't stop up. But it's only thirty-eight minutes, so really the cops were able to get like up to the studio. No, the cops got
0: in at the very end of the hour. Okay, they filled in the uh, observation room, and a guy, a CBS guy named Davidson Taylor, barred the door bodily. He let them in right after, and they confiscated the scripts. But um, Orson screws up in his outro. Oh, how? And he. He never screwed up, and he he would decapitate any of his players who did a flub on the air in a scripted program. (laughs) But he says something like, um, We did the best best next thing.
3: Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night, so we did the best next thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS.
0: Because he was looking up at a room full of police wondering what the hell was going on and what, what he was in for. <laughs>
1: and, and then there's also a great film of him afterwards trying to pretend oh that my, yes. he feels so bad about it. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right. I feel right, right. So been bad up all for night. this tremendous publicity I'm getting. He, he said that he wanted to appear
0: on the newsreels like an early Christian saint. <laughs> and he said... Oh, no. Oh, no. We had no idea that anything like that was afoot. Yeah, even when the <laughs> cops filled up the studio. <laughs> right. you know, we feel terrible that any such well-known story should have been misinterpreted in such a fashion by any Americans. Radio but is new, he- and we are learning about the effect it has on people.
2: <laughs> did he do this because he had just contempt for the average human being? They needed a sponsor.
1: Yeah, they needed, he needed attention. Yes. He needed somebody. Obelicity. So, uh,
2: but he seems like the kind of guy who would just feel like everyone
0: around him was an idiot. Yes, very, very much so.
1: But they had the they had been doing seventeen shows with the Mercury Theater, and they didn't have any money. And what they needed was somebody to. And by the eighteenth show. Suddenly, Campbell Soup was their sponsor. So, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Like, everybody's, you know, kind of upset about, hey, the war of the world's made everybody panic, but Campbell Soup was like, I think we can make some money off this. The thing about the show that has always just dogged me is that
0: had no one believed it, it would still be the best broadcast
1: and a a brilliant adaptation and a brilliant hour of radio. And it's not like a... <clears throat> a musty time capsule that you listen to out of obligation to to hear what history was like. It is a great, no, exciting sounds, show. I yeah. just
2: listened to it today. It sounds amazing. Yeah, it's compelling. It's well done. I mean, I did find a version where they took out a lot of the crackles, so that was pretty good. Too. Uh-huh. That's a key. Because <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> poor transcription discs that got are a just lot of fingerprints like, <laughs> when oh the my cops took it. it. There's a lot <laughs> of noise. Oh feel like i could finally contribute to this conversation yes, adequately and talking about the marvel comics adaptation war of the worlds 1970 i think maybe 71 yeah. yeah damn starring one of the greatest uh, yes one of the greatest unknown heroes in the marvel universe kill raven <laughs> Bad, bad cat.
3: There's nothing more to say. Nothing more than that.
2: Who the hell is Kill Raven?
1: Kill Raven. Will James Gunn please bring Kill Raven back for Guardians of the Galaxy Three? will
2: he won't cuz no they don't even know him no even the marvel universe no, doesn't they've got
1: somebody that. wants to write a kill raven movie somewhere
2: i bought He's the worst. every comic book that came out more i mean this is a little bit before my time but like i wouldn't buy these
1: cuz they were so lame mm. <laughs> and it's the war of the worlds with kill raven stapled onto it
2: it's mostly like these mutant, weird beings. It's almost like a Star Wars or Star Trek when they go to another planet and everyone has like three eyeballs and yeah. some kind of thing hanging out their head. It makes no sense at all. It's terrible. And Don McGregor had the idea. Herb Trimpy did a lot. Like It's like a study in which Inker possibly has... <laughs> A free moment to do a terrible job. <laughs> right. It's like every book has something and it just looks worse and worse. I went through them mm. today. And it finally ends though when this artist, P. Craig Russell, joins it. I remember him. And he actually is great. Uh-huh. He like so the last few books look great, you know, and it kind of brought it to life. And in the last issue at the end, it's like the, Don McGregor. Dedicates the series to him. is like, somebody cared about it. Anyway, so that was what... When I was growing up, that's what I thought War of the Worlds was. Uh-huh. You know? Like, unless you were really researching old radio. Jeff, did you, like, know this stuff early on? Or did I, you know? Like, how did you I've get been, into this radio? I've been
0: chasing this dragon for a long time. That I, um, I typed the script when I was in the sixth grade and forced my class to... Pre- present it. Nice, you did. I did, and you I, typed I, still up the, I still have the script. Still the script, and that there, there are some words in it that are not misspelled, and
1: <laughs> you still have the script that you typed in sixth grade I of the War of the Worlds. I certainly do. And I did not super know cool. that.
2: All right, so <laughs> I want to hear about this. You type up the script. Do you, you tell the teachers that you want to yes. do a broadcast version of this? Yes. And, like, they say okay?
0: Everybody said okay. They knew the glint in the eye of a madman. Did right.
1: Did you play the Orson, Orson Welles part?
0: Guess. <laughs> <laughs> and, was I, and was I an emotional tyrant throughout?
2: <laughs> what was the reaction of people when you did it?
0: They were all for it. And, um, but then you I sold it? the teacher on the educational aspect. Right. I, I didn't tell her that nine hours of her class time and her syllabus was going to be given over to my obsessions right i didn't phrase it that way (laughs)
2: that's not how you sell something right right well that's so super cool man
1: well uh everybody out there should listen to the war of the worlds before halloween or on halloween hey let's plug october surprise oh
0: let's do it okay so we have another podcast doug bost and i have that's true and High
2: quality. It's excellent. It's the listening dis, experience it's, I it's must genre drama. Having heard it. The uh, Discordia
0: podcast. The Discordia yeah. podcast. And there it's the English language Discordia podcast. Yes. Look for that one with the picture of the garage on the label. And uh the the one that we're posting in a couple of days, it'll be out by this time, is called October Surprise. And it's a
1: Well, it goes right along with what you're talking about. In fact, it's even called your character by Jeff Ward. Yeah,
0: and um, it's it's in the form of an NPR segment feature, Mm -hmm. and it's fake, and it's scary. It's a horror story told as an NPR story,
1: so it's as you know, obviously, I've made no progress at all since sixth grade. Jeff Ward, thank you very much for uh, talking with us about The War of the World. It was a joy, fellas. Thanks thanks so much. It was worth the trip.
2: Yeah, fun episode.
1: All right, goodbye.
2: Grown Ass Man.